God's amazing grace. Pray the Lord will bless us this morning for a few minutes as we look into His Word. We'll go to Ephesians chapter 2 to start out, and then um, I'd like to share an experience that, um, that uh, a friend of mine had this last, uh, a few weeks ago. Ephesians chapter 2, great portion of text. So several weeks ago, I received a text message from a real good friend of mine. Um, the friend that I've known for about maybe 15, 20 years sent a text that she had taken her mother, who was elderly and frail, uh, to the beauty shop. Her sister owns the beauty shop, so it was the mother and her two daughters at this uh, beauty shop on the eastern shore. And she said while we were there, her mother, who has been very frail, in a frail condition, she said we'd had a real good day. She said all of a sudden, my mother uh, went into cardiac arrest and her heart stopped. And she said what seemed like a long, long time. She said my sister and I attempted to resuscitate her. Uh, with CPR. We took turns doing what we've been told and taught to do. And she said, when she sent the text, she said uh, the ambulance came and she said they were able with uh, the treatment that they did, I assume the shocking, that before they left, they were able to get a faint heartbeat. She said, I'm sure that my mother is going to pass away. And she asked for prayer for her family and for her mother. And so they took her mother to the hospital. They put her in ICU. They continued to work with her mother. And almost to the surprise of the family, the mother's heart rate began to stabilize after not having a heartbeat for some time. And then she said that within a day, she said, my mother, she, at first she said, I'm sure there's probably brain damage because she went for a period of time without breathing at all, without having a heartbeat, without breathing. And she said, I'm sure that there's very likely brain damage as well. Mother's in her mid-80s, in frail condition. Then she called and said, my mother is beginning to respond a little bit. And then she called and said, my mother is beginning to respond a whole lot. And the first thing that went through my mind when she told me that, I didn't share this with her, but I thought to myself, if truly her heart stopped, If truly she was not breathing for a while, I wondered in my mind if she'd had any experience, some folks call it an out-of-body experience. 
There's about seven examples in the scripture. The Apostle Paul, Stephen, others, Elisha, that actually had a glimpse of heaven. I didn't share this question with my friend regarding her mother. But as her mother began to come to, even though her mind was a little bit cloudy at the time, the experience and story that she told never, ever changed. And she said that she was blessed to get a glimpse of glory. She was not trying to convince anybody else, but she was convinced herself that she saw her mother and she saw her sister. Later, her daughter talked to her and wrote all of it down. And about a week after that, I wanted to go and hear it in person. So I went to the hospital bed that she was in and I pulled up a chair next to her. And I said, would you share with me your experience? It was exactly to a T what she had told her daughter and her family immediately afterwards. And then she went on to say, after she heard that her daughters had given her CPR, the ambulance attempted to revive her, she told me. She said, I told them, when this happens again, don't bring me back. I've got a wonderful place that I'm going But she said something in our conversation that I'll share with you. She said, I often wondered. She said, I often wondered if I had lived well enough to make it to heaven. And she said, I know there's a heaven. And I believe I'm going there. And I said, well, the good news is that none of us, the bad news is that not any of us live well enough to make it to heaven. We don't get there because we've lived good enough to do it. But we all get there exactly the same way. Everyone. The little infant, the aged mother, grandmother, the parent, even the unborn, those that are in the womb. We all get there exactly the same way. And I'm thankful that it's not based upon our works. Because every single one of us would miss the mark. But I'm thankful we all get there the same way and it's based on God's amazing grace. About three or four years ago, I was walking through, maybe it was 49th Street. We'd had a, in New York City, we'd had a really good service one morning and was walking to the, um, to the train station with my stepfather. And as we walked under one of the signs, To my surprise, it said, Amazing Grace. And I thought, in New York City? And so when I looked a little more closely, I realized that there was actually a show that had been 
a play that had been developed about the life of the author of Amazing Grace, John Newton. And he was, it was a show that was playing at one of the theaters in New York City. This was certainly pre-COVID. And I couldn't wait to, to go and see it myself. And I was, I was blessed by the show and blessed by the experience. And there were probably a couple of thousand folks that were there in attendance. And in the end, when it was all over with, folks st- stood up and all together joined their voices together. And they were led by the cast at singing Amazing Grace. And it was a wonderful spiritual experience. I went back four times to see it. It was wonderful. John Newton was brought up in a godly home. And his mother at an early age had dedicated him to the Lord herself. But her mother, his mother passed away while he was but a very young man. And his father remarried. His father was a ship captain and lived a pretty rough life. And so young uh, John Newton did not have a lot of direction after his mother passed away. And he got with the wrong folks. And their ways were appealing to him. The scripture tells us. That we're not to be conceived, be deceived, that evil communications corrupt good manners. So we shouldn't ever think that any of us are so strong that we can't be influenced by the ungodly. John Newton, at a young age, began to associate with a rebellious group of folks. And he chose and seemed to enjoy that lifestyle for a season. He, his father, was a captain of uh, slave ships that were transporting slaves. Circumstances led to the point that he himself ended up being a slave at one point and was pursuing a very ungodly life and didn't pursue or consider the things of God that he'd been taught at a young age. And the story goes that as he was running away from God, And usually that's when God reaches us and finds us and turns us around is when we're going away from God. If we're going towards God, it's because God's already done a work in our heart and drawn us to him. But we're usually going away from God. We don't have to worry. God knows where we are. We don't have to worry. God is able to turn us around when we're going away from God. And as he was going away from God... He was in a ship and a great storm came. A large storm came and many of them feared for their own life. It kind of sounds like Jonah, does it not? Lord knows how to get our attention in turbulent times. And sometimes we experience turbulent times for the Lord to get our attention along the way. And so this terrible storm came about. And all of a sudden in the midst of the storm... Uh, John Newton began to listen to uh, the Lord. Now, the Lord doesn't have any trouble reaching us or speaking to us and giving us a hearing ear. When the Lord speaks, we listen. God doesn't stand there begging us to do anything. When God speaks, he declares it and it's done. 
He has all power. The God that created this universe, the God that created this earth, when he speaks that life-giving voice, we live. He doesn't talk us into it. It's not a partnership. It's not something that we assist him in. God has all power. You can go over and read the last chapter of Matthew where he says he has all power. So if God has all power, how much power does that give us? Not a whole lot. We're the recipients of God's amazing grace. So I had the blessing of sharing at least the way I understand the scriptures to teach. That, yes, if it's based on our works... We miss the mark. But the good news is it's not based on our works. It's based upon God's amazing grace. Now, the Apostle Paul helps us to understand this. I love Ephesians chapter two. Let's start down with verse eight and then we'll kind of back up in this Ephesians chapter two. Verse eight. For by grace are you saved through faith. And he says, and that not of yourself. So if we wonder about how that we're saved, if it's not by our works of righteousness, then how are we saved? Some folks teach that it's almost like a scale that you balance and the good works have to outweigh the bad works. And if you perform enough good works and they outweigh the bad works, then you can secure your home in heaven. Some folks will tell you that there's some things you need to do in order to secure your home in heaven. You need to follow these steps. For some folks, it's two steps, three steps, five steps. But there are things that you have to do in order to secure your home in heaven. Some folks believe that you must be baptized. I grew up in West Texas and Um, There was a friend of mine that was a member of another order. And uh, when he decided that he wanted to follow in baptism in the church that he lived in, they called the pastor and it was two o'clock in the morning and they went and baptized him because he was under the understanding that you must experience the physical baptism in order to secure your name in heaven. Baptism is a blessing. Jesus Christ set the example of baptism, but baptism does not get us secure in heaven. We're taught in first Timothy that baptism is the answer. It's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It's not going to pay the price for our sins, but it is the answer of something. I've often talked to folks and I said the best time to get baptized is when God stirs your conscience because baptism is the answer of a good conscience Toward God. My grandmother had dementia in her latter years and she couldn't remember a whole lot. But she was baptized when she was a little girl, about six years old. And even though she couldn't tell you the names of her children, she could tell you about her baptism just as clearly as if it happened the day before. Baptism's a great blessing, but baptism does not secure your home in heaven. So if If all of those things or any of those things or all of them combined do not help us secure our home in heaven, then how do we get to heaven? The Apostle Paul says, for by grace, you know what grace does? Grace gives us something that we don't deserve. Not a single one of us deserve heaven. 
because we're sinners. For by grace are you saved through faith. Now, someone might decide that you need to go out and get faith in order to get to heaven. But right in the very same sentence, he says that we have to have faith. But he says, and that not of yourselves. So it's not something we go out and get. If we go over and look at the example of the fruits of the spirit, we'll see that once God has given us spiritual life, That faith is the fruit of the Spirit. We have spiritual life when God calls us and quickens us. But faith is the result of having spiritual life within us. We don't get faith and then get life. We get life and then we have faith. And so here's what he says. Now, good works are important. And he emphasizes this right here. He says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. And he says, and that not of yourselves. And then he says, it's a gift of God. Anybody like gifts? You know, a gift is something that you get and you don't do anything to receive it. A gift is something that God gives you that we really don't deserve. But he gives it to us freely. And why does he give it to us? That's exactly right. It's because he loves us. It's because he cares for us. It's because he's concerned about where we're going to end up someday. Did you know that he loves us so much that he paid the price upon the cross of Calvary through his son, Jesus Christ. And that that's how much he loved us to secure our home in heaven. And that when Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary shed the blood for you and I that paid the price for our sins, he did it in full. Jesus Christ didn't make a down payment for our sins. Jesus Christ didn't pay a portion of our sins, but Jesus Christ paid it in full. And what a great blessing that that is. Now he says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And he says in that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And then he tells us right here. He says, it's not based on works. And he says, here's one reason that it's not. He says, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. We kind of like to boast, don't we? We like to boast. And God has created it in such a way that we can't boast and we can't get the glory. And all the glory goes to God. Occasionally I'll meet somebody and they feel like that they've been instrumental in helping God populate heaven. Do you know what? God doesn't need any help in that. In fact, God knows exactly who's going to be in heaven. And I can tell you a little bit of a secret that's told to us in Revelation. God knew this from before the foundation of the world. God knew it a long time before we even came along. But God loves his people so much that he created a way that they would live in glory, that their sins would be paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm doing it in such a way that it's not based upon your works of righteousness. Because one of the reasons, if it was based upon works, then we'd claim credit for it and we would boast in it and we would try to take some of the credit that God gets. God gets all credit for our salvation. He says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then here's where good works come in. 
You say, then should we just go out and live any kind of way that we want to? I had one gentleman say one time, said, if I believe the way you did, I'd just go out and sin all I wanted to. I said, if you believe the way I did, you'd already sin more than you want to. It's, grace is not a license to sin. Grace is not an opportunity to go out and sin. In fact, if we believe that God has touched us and quickened us by his grace, it should motivate us to go out and to serve him. And here's what he says. For we are his workmanship. What does that mean? It means he's the potter. Romans chapter 9 tells us that we're his workmanship. He is the potter and we are the clay. Now that does not mean that we're a bunch of robots. It doesn't. God is in charge. He's our heavenly father. He creates us. And it also doesn't mean that God causes us to sin. God is not the author of sin. We can't blame our sin upon God. If we sin, when we sin, we're the ones that are the blame for that, not God. He says, for we are his workmanship. Do you know that along the way, sometimes God uses his influence, uses his force, uses his correcting hand to knock off some rough edges along the way because we're his workmanship. But he says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And then he says, unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What is he saying right there? He's simply saying that God has chosen. God has chosen the way for us to go. Your parents chose the way for you to go. Your parents chose the right way. When I was a young fella, my parents were clear to lay out the right way. And when I deviated from that way, my father had a very effective means of getting my attention. It's not very popular nowadays, but uh, in, in a lot of places and probably not accepted in many places, but it was very effective and it was what I needed. And, do you know, God knows what we need and he gives parents the authority in raising their children to direct them in the right way. Well, the Lord says we're his workmanship. And we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. That means he has ordered, he set in place, he's determined that we should walk in them. So spiritual life comes first. And then as the result of spiritual life, we have faith, we have belief, and then we have the desire to walk and follow the Lord. So how do we experience the new birth? Paul tells us in the first part of the chapter this is just as clear as it can be i love this i didn't grow up embracing this or even being taught this doctrine and so it was such a blessing when it was revealed to me and you hath he quickened if you look up quickened it simply means made alive now why is it that we need to be quickened we need to be quickened because we're dead Spiritually, we're dead in trespasses and sins. In fact, Psalm 51 says that the fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. Romans chapter 3 says that there's none good, no, not one. We're not seeking God. We're not looking for God. We're not pursuing God. 
But he says in chapter 2, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's not talking about physically speaking. He's talking about spiritually speaking. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now, this describes Adam's race. It describes everybody apart from God. It says, In times past we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. It basically says that we're pursuing an ungodly course, a course that's, that's not pursuing God, and we're liking it. He says, among whom we also had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. It's, it's a pretty sad condition that we're in when we are apart from God, when we're not pursuing God or godly things, when we have not experienced spiritual life in our life, it's a sad situation. Here's how it's described in Titus chapter 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. A pretty sad description of individuals. But after that, but after that, The kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. And then he describes again where works come in. He says it's not by works of righteousness which we've done. But it's according to his mercy that he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Which he has shed upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by his grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So not only are we saved by His grace, but we're justified by His grace. Thank goodness our works do not condemn us eternally. When God looks down upon us, He doesn't look at our imperfections. He sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And He sees us as holy and pure and just and we're justified by the same grace that God gives us and and delivers us home to glory with. He says we're not pursuing God. We're, We're deceived and deceiving others. We're living in pleasures and malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. So he describes a pretty dark picture for us when we're away from God. I, it was necessary for me when I came to the understanding of the doctrines of grace to understand depravity. One of the things that we believe that the scriptures teach that, that it's very clear is that we're not just a little bit bad, but that we're totally depraved. We're not just depraved, a little bit sick, a little bit ill with sin, with this sinful condition. But we are completely condemned and we're totally dead in trespasses and sin. Even though I didn't enjoy 
hearing and understanding about total depravity, realizing that I was totally dead in trespasses and sin, it was necessary for me to see that it was only by and solely by God's grace that I would be delivered. I don't really enjoy preaching about total depravity. I, I can relate to it all too well. I don't know about you, but I can relate to this old depraved nature. And I look forward and I'm like, I'm like Miss Faith that said, uh, if this hap- when this happens again, don't bring me back. I want to go on and be with the Lord. I don't, I've had my fill of this world and its sorrow and the struggle with sin here in this life. I'm looking forward to living with my Savior and being delivered from this someday. What a day that will be. So it describes Adam's race in general apart from God. But when God quickens us, and this shows the inability of of, of being able to help God out. God is able to quicken and give spiritual life to an individual, to a being, to a child of God, even before they're born. Now, how in the world would you get the preacher or the evangelist to reach that individual? Not a problem for God. You can go over and read about the example of John. And it said that when his mother and when Elizabeth and Mary were uh, discussing about the birth of Christ and they heard about the salutation of Jesus Christ, it says that John leapt for joy in his mother's womb. What's that an evidence of? Why would he leap for joy in his mother's womb? It's because he had spiritual life. You're not going to leap for joy about the things of God unless God has been there and quickened you first. So God can reach the individual while in the womb. Now, it also proves another thing. In God's eyes, it's a real person. It is. In God's eyes, when there's conception, there's life. Life enough That they can hold the spirit of God and have spiritual life as well. So some are made to hope and rejoice while in their mother's womb. You may not have, you may not be able to relate from a practical experience the way that uh, it's described by Paul in Titus or in Ephesians about being apart from God. Maybe you never pursued that course actively. Maybe God touched you and gave you spiritual life while you were yet in your mother's womb. Or it could be like David that says that he was made to hope while upon his mother's breast. So that's in an infant state as well. Or it could be like a mature individual like the Apostle Paul who was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians And he was going actively to persecute the people of God. And God reached him. And in fact, afterwards, and God reached him and he spoke that life giving voice. And he said, who art thou, Lord? And what would you have me to do? And when someone says that, that's a great evidence that God has been there and done a work in their heart. So it could be at the individual's life when they're mature like that. 
It could be when they're a teenager. It could be when they're a child. It could be when they're an infant. Or it could be an individual who's in the last hour of his life, like the thief on the cross. There were two thieves, and they were, uh, both of them had been warring against the Lord, and the Lord touched one of them. And he said, Lord, would you remember me when you're in paradise? And the Lord said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. So it could be that the Lord gives this quickening voice and quickens an individual even uh, right before they pass from this life. So that's an evidence to me that it's not for you and I to go around and try to determine who is and who's not a child of God. Now, we're taught that we're to know folks by the fruit that they bear. But even if somebody is not bearing the fruit that fits your standard or the biblical standard, it does not mean that God may not touch. It's very possible that God may quicken them. It's possible that God could quicken them on the very last breath of life that they live here in this life. God's sovereign. God knows who's going to be in heaven. God does. And I'm just real happy to leave that in God's hands. I am. That's not for me to decide. God does that. Well, here's the rest of this chapter. Really, really good. But God, who is rich in mercy. Every one of us here are testaments to the mercy of Almighty God. Mercy keeps us from getting what we deserve. If we got what we deserved, it'd be eternal punishment. But by God's mercy, we've been delivered from that. And not only does God give us mercy, eternally speaking, but God gives us mercy each and every day that we live. He does. We've already experienced more blessings. If we never experienced another blessing from God, we've already experienced more than what we deserve. God's mercy. And here's how he describes it. I love love Lamentations chapter 3. Boy, Jeremiah is going through and lamenting his condition. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we lament the state of life that we're in or where we are in life. But he said, all of a sudden he remembered something. Sometimes it's good for us to remember some things. He said, I remembered something that it's of the Lord's mercies that I'm not consumed. And then he goes down and he says, great is not my faithfulness, but great is thy faithfulness. So here he says... God is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. And he loved us even when we were dead in sins and hath quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are ye saved. He mentions it twice here in this chapter. Even when we were dead in sins, he's quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are you saved and hath raised us up to sit together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Romans talks a whole lot about the whole book of Romans talks about the grace of almighty God. Here's uh, Romans chapter 7. There's some things in the scriptures that when we read them, we can just really connect. Some things we read in the scriptures, we connect and we kind of wish we didn't. 
because it describes us maybe all too well. Here's how Paul says it here. Romans chapter 7. He says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Anybody ever relate to that? Sometimes we think we got it figured out. Uh, We think we have our thinking in the right path. We think our speech is going to be just right. And all of a sudden, just a very short period of time, we realize that we've missed the mark. The things we're not going to say, we end up saying. The things that we shouldn't say, we do. and, and, And then we feel condemned. He says, for that which I do, I allow not, but that that I would not do. Uh, he says, what I hate, that I do. If then I do that, which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. He says, now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Paul says, he, he describes it this way. There's two parts to us. You may think, well, there's maybe a whole lot more than two, but there's specifically two parts. There's the outward man and there's the inward man. And that inward man is the spiritual man. It's the spiritual life that God's given us. And that spiritual man doesn't die. That spiritual man doesn't get old. That spiritual man doesn't get feeble. But that spiritual man goes grows stronger and stronger and stronger until we get to heaven. The outward man is this old Adam nature that we still deal with. And part of it is the thoughts that we have. Part of it's the things that we say, the things that we that we think. And, and that's what Satan attacks oftentimes is this outward man. And so Paul is saying, he says, I, I, I confess that I have this struggle as I live along this life, he says, the things that I wish I didn't do, I'll end up doing the things that I, that I do. I wish I didn't. And, and vice versa. He, you might say, well, Paul sounds like he's a confused individual, but look what Paul says. He says, I know that is in me, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Thank goodness. We don't get to heaven by our works of righteousness because Even one sin would cause us to miss the mark, much less all the sins that we confess and we uh, pursue in our life. He says, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not for the good that I would. I do not. But the evil that I would not do that that I do. Now, if I do that, that I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. The Apostle Paul acknowledges. Now, some folks have the concept that they're good and getting better. And by the time that they reach heaven, they're almost perfect. I had an individual that I worked with one time and she announced to me and others that we worked with that she had finally reached a state of perfection. That she didn't sin anymore. And I thought to myself. That's probably sin itself. To think that we can even do that. We can't reach that state here in this life. But Paul doesn't leave us in this pitiful state. He says. 
He says, I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then Paul, now now this is after Paul's experience on the road to Damascus. This is after God had given Paul spiritual life. You'd think that, that if there was anybody that lived so close to the Lord that they didn't sin, you'd think it'd be the Apostle Paul. But look what Paul says. Look how Paul confesses it. So when we see our, I think it's probably one reason that we can relate to these old hymn writers. I love, I love all the songs, but I especially love the old minor songs. Poor, weak, and worthless though I am. Hungry, faint, and poor. I, can, I am a stranger here below, and what I am is hard to know. I am so vile, so full of sin. I fear that I'm not born again. I mean, if you relate to that, then you're relating to what Paul's saying right here. Paul says, he says, I look at it and I see that I still have this struggle with sin in my life. He says, I wish I didn't. And I'm looking forward to the day that I won't. But he said, right now, I still deal with this old sinful nature. But he says, I see another law warring in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law. And he says, he, this is how he describes it. He says, he, he doesn't say I'm perfect and I'm, I'm almost perfect and I'm getting better. Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The condemnation of sin. We're taught that the wages of sin is death. Paul says, I recognize that. I can relate to it. I experience it. I feel it in my own life. Is there deliverance for me? And look what he says right here. He says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then it is, then, then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Paul says, I realize that I'm a sinner. But he says, I have hope of being delivered completely from that someday. And my hope's in the Lord. That's where my hope, my hope lies. Probably... Probably uh, some of my favorite verses. As Brother Polk would say, my favoritest verse. Uh, Some of my most favorite verses I love in John chapter 6 because it just, it helps to understand it so clearly. Even though we're wretched, when John Newton wrote the song Amazing Grace, He described, he says, that saved a wretch like me. Some folks say it's not popular in the day in which we live because the word wretch. Well, Paul used the word wretch. He said, who's going to deliver me? So Mr. Newton, when he described it, he was describing his own experience. When Mr. Newton became an aged man, I think he was maybe in his 80s. He had a stroke. And it paralyzed one side. The way that he described it was he said, I feel like on half of my body, I'm half dead. He said, that's how I feel. They would help him up to the pulpit. And some of the folks told him, said, Mr. Newton, you need to lay down your preaching and not try to preach anymore. You 
you're a feeble body. And he said, there, he said, I may have forgotten a whole lot. But he said, I know one thing. I'm a great sinner. And I have a great Savior. And he said, as long as I can stand up and tell that story, I'm going to do it. Here's how it happens. John 6, 37. All that the Father giveth me. That's those, which is a vast number. It's out of every nation, kindred, tongue. It's as vast as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, this is Christ, but the will of him that sent me. And he says, and this is the Father's will which hath sent me. That of all which he hath given me, he's talking about his children, I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up again at the last day. And then he says in verse 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Your salvation, thank goodness, is not based on your works or my works or the works of your parents or your grandparents or the preacher or anybody else. Because... Bad news is none of us, not a single one of us, live good enough to get to heaven. We're going to get to heaven based on God's amazing grace. And I tell you, knowing that truth will bless you throughout your life. To know that your salvation is solely in the Lord. To know that when you mess up when you have the wrong thought he's not going to condemn you to hell you're not saved by grace one minute and fall from grace the next you're saved by grace you're justified by grace and you're kept by grace and i think that when we get to heaven we'll really know how to sing the wonderful song god's amazing grace thank you for your good attention